we are live, and we are in the book of Job. So if you want to make your way, we're going to pick it up at Job chapter 19 tonight, and we'll make it through, uh, well, well, we'll get a little bit past halfway through the book. So that gives you some idea where we stand. Um, if you want to make your way there, so if you turn to the middle of your Bible, Psalms, and you turn one book to the left, towards the front, and that's where the book of Job is. And so um, we'll look at verse 19. Let's go before the Lord. Father, again, as we come tonight, Lord, we ask that you would just uh, do that great work. As we hold your word in our hands, Father, we ask that you would just um, bless this time. And, uh, you know, this is a... um, a story that you chose to record um, even before you uh, gave Moses um, how everything was created. And so you wanted uh, who you are and your nature and, um, you know, uh, just dispelling the uh, wrong views of you made clear in the very beginning, Father. So we thank you for it. So we ask that you would bless um us and give us insight to all that you want to say tonight, Father. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what we're, you might remember again that God called Job uh, an upright, righteous man. He uh, said that before Satan. Satan accused him, of course, of, you know, doing it for the money and for what he got out of it. He just You know, he serves you, loves you, is faithful to you because you do this for him. And the Lord said, okay, uh, take that away. He took it away and Job's heart didn't change in the sense of being faithful and loving the Lord. He said, the Lord gives, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then, of course, Satan was up in heaven again. The curtains pulled back. We get a view of heaven and Satan's there. And the Lord says to, to, to Satan, hey, um, see, Job didn't forsake me like you said. And then the accusation comes, oh, that's because, you know, you haven't attacked him personally. You know, you did to all those around him. But man, if you, you know, uh, l- allow me to do things to him, you'll see he'll turn his, turn his back on you in a heartbeat. And uh, of course, uh, the Lord allowed him to do that. And he was inflicted with a disease that had you know, all sorts of side effects to it that we've been kind of covering as we're reading through this that went along with it. And Job uh, has hit some pretty low lows. You know, his three friends came and uh, sat with him for seven days. They were so overwhelmed by how bad he looked that, again, they couldn't even recognize him. Hey, is that Job? Is that Job? Yeah, that's Job. And they just sat there for seven days. And then you know, Job spoke and pour out his heart, and then they felt the need to correct him. So Job would speak, and then one of his friends, and then Job would speak, another friend, and then Job would speak, and another friend. And so we went through um, that, and we started out with round two, so then it went around again. So the three guys spoke, and Job would reply on each one, and now the, uh, the last week, uh, Eliaphaz spoke again, that was his round two, and now in chapter 19, uh, Job is going to reply to what Eliaphaz said in chapter, I'm sorry, Bildad said in um, chapter 18. And oh, I wanted to also note uh, and apologize for last week because, um, you know, I missed some of the verses and it was my fault. 
Uh, my notes that I printed out uh, were, uh, yeah, were printed on two sides. I never set the, the paper with two-sided printing, but somebody uh, did that, and I didn't notice that it was printed on the back side till afterwards. And I will say, what? You know, they're going through these verses. They didn't, you know, you kind of switch chapters there. And then I go, what? That can't be. And then, sure enough, I looked. And so uh, I apologize for that if some of you were kind of confused about what <laughs> happened last time. But um, that's what happened. But hopefully we got that straightened out tonight so from now on. So... Anyway, chapter 19, let's look at verse 1. It says, Then Job answered and said, How long will you torment my soul and break me in pieces with words? These ten times you have reproached me. You are not ashamed that you have wronged me? And if indeed I have erred, my error remains with me. And if indeed you exalt yourself against me and plead my disgrace against me, and it'll go on in a second a little bit. But just, again, Job's answer to Bildad was, you know, you guys keep putting me down over and over and over again. And you know what? I'm broken by it. I, I'm just broken. I'm already broken because I lost my 10 children. My wife has basically told me to curse God and die. Uh, I, I am miserable morning, noon, night with all these sores. And I have all these you know, uh, they're, they're causing all these things for me not to be able to sleep and the pain and, you know, and he lists all those things that are going over with him. And then now I got you guys, you know, when I'm pouring out my emotions, you guys are, you know, telling me that I'm a sinner and this was brought on by myself, you know, by all the wrong things I did. And he finally says, you know, I, I'm, I'm broken by it. And he's just sitting there just you know, broken by all that's said. And it just reminds me how powerful our words can be. I like this quote, um, and it says this, they struck at him with their hard words as if they were breaking stones on the roadside. We ought to be very careful what we say to those who are suffering affliction and trial. For a word, though it seems to be a very little thing, will often cut far more deeply and wound far more terribly than a razor would. And I think that's just a good reminder for us. You know, we have to, we have to think about how our words affect people. You know, we just don't want to vomit our opinions and our thinking and our understanding of a situation on somebody. You know, some people just have a hard time controlling their tongue. You know, they, they feel like they have to be heard every time. They, they really demand to be heard, and they demand to, you know, uh, you know, because they feel that they're right and what they're thinking and the way they do things are right. And, you know, they give very little thought to how that affects others and how that affects those around them. And it's just, it's, uh, it's, it, it's a tendency that, you know, all of us can have it to some degree or another, and particularly the younger we are, I think the more we fall into that trap. And so we just need to be careful how powerful our words can be and how we need to tame our tongue. And I'll remind us of that verse in James chapter 3, and it says, Every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly 
poison. And again, it just reminds us in the book of James that, you know, it just, you can tame the wild animals. You can do the Siegfried and Roy taming all sorts of tigers and this and that, but who can control their tongue and how important it is that we do that? Particularly when, you know, Job has complained over and over again of how heavy they're making and how they're making it worse. You think that would have broken through at some point, but... It never does. They up the ante, as a matter of fact. They go the other way. Well, verse 6 says, you know, and I plead my disgrace against me. Verse 6 says, Know uh, then that God has wronged me and has surrounded me with his net. If I cry out concerning wrong, I am not heard. If I cry aloud, there is no justice. He has fenced up my way so that I cannot pass. He has set darkness in my path. He has stripped me of my glory and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side, and I am gone. My hope he has uprooted like a tree. He has also kindled his wrath against me, and he counts me as one of his enemies. His troop come together and build up their road against me. They encamp all around my tent. Now you can just hear the real low spot that Job has come to. He felt like his his friends were crushing him, and now he feels like God is against him. But he will uh, is you know is not as we will see. God is not against him. Um, it's just hard for Job to see uh, what the Lord is doing through this when he's dead smack in the middle of this. And um, it just just reminds us, too, you know, when we're in the middle of a trial or a difficulty or something's weighing heavy on our heart and it's just, you know, tough and we can't understand why and it seems like God's not answering or He is ignoring it or doesn't care or all those things um, float into our mind so quickly. But... The important thing for us to remember is when we don't know and we don't understand what's going on, that we fall back on what we do know. Fall back on what we do know about our Heavenly Father. Fall back on all the times He's loved us and shown us through and came through for us and and took care of situations and made things the right way, even though we might have thought it you know, at the time, it maybe not have been the right way. And we can see how he's worked everything out. And so when we just don't have the question answered to our whys, we just have to fall back on what we do know. He does love me. And Romans 8 is a great place to go. And I'll put up, again, a verse that's very familiar with most of us. You know, what should we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, even though Satan is coming against Job and, you know, trying to destroy him as much as he can, um, you know, we just have to remember he loves us. And and again, Romans 8 is a great place um, to go. Uh, As a matter of fact, an old-time preacher uh, is known to say, if your Bible was to drop on the floor, you know, it should fall open to Romans chapter 8. And the idea behind that is that you go there so often that the Bible's kind of worn to open to that, to that section there. And I think that's a good thing to remember, especially for a guy like Job here who's just 
feels like, you know, because the Lord's not answering or he's not doing anything or he's not changing things, uh, that he feels like, you know, it's the Lord that's against him when quite the opposite is the true. But that's how we can feel in the midst of things. So not only does Job think that, that God is against him, but also everybody else. So verse 13 says, He has removed my brothers far from me, and my acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have failed, and my closest friends have forgotten me. Those who dwell in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I am an alien in their sight. I call my servant, but he gives no answer. I beg him with my mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife, and I am repulsed to the children of my own body. Even young children despise me. I arise, and they speak against me. All my close friends abhor me, and those whom I love have turned against me. My bone clings to the skin and to my flesh, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. Of course, now we know where that saying comes from, you know, I made it by the skin of my teeth. Well, this is where that saying, old saying comes from, the skin of my teeth right here in the book of Job's. But again, here's Job, uh, you know, I feel like God's abandoned me and everybody else has abandoned me. You know, nobody wants anything to do with me. Even those that I love and I care for and those that have been around me, uh, you know, whether they're workers or servants or whatever, you know, uh, they don't even want to be around. I'm like somebody that smells really bad or has really bad breath and people just kind of, you know, turn away. And maybe you, you know, run into a few uh, homeless pay people that you, you know, we're going to give a few bucks to or something like that or some other situation. Maybe you've been out camping for a week around not any running water or whatever. And, and, you know, you get that smell and you're like, oh, that's just, you know, and that's the picture that he's, he's making there. You just, you know, you kind of turn away. That's how everybody is treating me. The skin is hanging on my bones. I'm hanging on by the skin of my teeth. And again, he's just getting lower and lower. And that's the way it feels like when you feel like the Lord's not doing something. And then you feel like people have kind of abandoned you too. They've just kind of left you. And, and you know, that's, that's true. And a thing that we just have to be careful of, you know, we... When somebody's going through difficult times and heartaches, a lot of times we just, you know, we just don't know what to say. As we kind of talked to us at the very first message, you know, we don't know what to do. And, well, I, I you know, I just, how am I going to tell them? You know, this happened or this is going on. I mean, what do I do? And as we said in the beginning, just being there brings a lot of uh, a comfort to a person. You don't have to resolve anything. You don't have to come up with the right words. Maybe you don't have to come up with any words. But you just checking in with them, talking to them, letting them know that you're there, uh, you know, brings so much uh, uh, help to a person like that, even though they, might not, they may not think it or they may not need it at that time. Because a lot of times what they do, and, and maybe you felt that way, you felt like, you know, nobody cares. Here, this is going on in my life, and uh, nobody's calling, nobody's coming over, nobody's checking in, you know, people know what's happening with me, but... I, like n nobody's doing anything. And, and then, you know, you can get these feelings like, you know, Job has. And, you know, maybe we felt that way too. You know, we've had some big things go on in our lives and 
it seems like, you know, nobody cares. Well, we don't want to follow suit with that. And we know that can happen very easily. Because certainly we want people to show us love and compassion and be there for us when we're going through those difficulties. And, uh, you know, we need to show that as well. Help people remind them, hey, you know, what you do know about the Lord, you know, maybe the heal opportunity. Yeah, we don't know why he's doing this, but let's go back to what we do know. And, you know, again, just being there is, is, is a huge thing. They felt like everything was gone. They wouldn't even do that. And these guys that are actually there are making it worse. Well, he continues in verse 21. Have pity on me. Have pity on me. O oh, you, my friends, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you persecute me as God does? And why are you not satisfied with my flesh? Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. That they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. And verse 26 says, or 25, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and He shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is, destroy, uh, my skin is destroyed, I know this, that in my flesh I shall see God. I, I don't know about you, but, you know, at this very low point, you know, uh, everybody's left him. He feels like God's left him. He has one of the greatest professions of faith, I think, in the Old Testament. <laughs> really. I mean, it seems kind of crazy. I mean, he's like down here and, you know, at the bottom of the valley. I don't think you could get any deeper unless you dug a deeper hole. And, and then, you know, all of a sudden his, his head like peeks up above the cloud and uh, above the clouds. And he just has this great um, profession of faith. He knows that, you know, his Redeemer lives and, and he will be, be with him, stand on him on the earth. And after, the, you know, this body is gone, I, I know I'll be with God. Again, it's one of the greatest statements of faith, in, in, in my opinion, in the Old Testament. Again, why is this happening? Because I know this happens because the Lord is sustaining him. He, he, the Lord knows how far down he is, and it feels like he's digging down even deeper. And the Lord is sustaining him, um, and he may not realize it at the time. But that's what our Heavenly Father does. When we think we can't go one more step, he carries us and sees us through. You remember that old poem, you know, the footsteps, um, I, I didn't write it down, but, you know, if you Google it and put, you know, foot, footsteps and you can read that little poem, how the Lord was carrying this person going through difficulty. Um, and, it, you know, it's a great illustration of that. I think it's a great story of illustrating what Job is, you know, doing here. And he carries us. He sees us through. He knows Job is at the bottom of the bottom and he is sustaining him. And it's a good reminder how important to turn our eyes from the situation to our Heavenly Father. You know, we just can't see past the worry. But we need to remember God is greater than our circumstances. God is greater than our circumstances. 
you know, Job knows that in the end. He knows he'll see God and be with him, um, but it is difficult now. I guess that question has to be asked to us tonight as well. You know, can you say the same thing? Can you know that you'll see God in the end, that, that you will be with him? Do you know that your Redeemer lives, Jesus? Or is he in a grave somewhere, some vague spirit wandering something? You know, is it Muhammad who's in a grave somewhere, or Buddha who is buried out yonder, or Confucius, or anybody else? But Jesus is alive. You know, I, you, you see this all over. You know, people, you know, will say, oh, the person I really look up to or I idolize or I really want to be like, and they, you know, name some famous actor that they want to be like or musician that they want to be like or business, you know, executive they want to be like or whatever it is, you know, they have a picture of them and this and that, and, you know, that's who I really respect and, you know, have this for and, and at the end, where, where is that person, right? Most of them are long gone or dead. And, and, you know, yet you're looking to a person that can't do anything or help you in any sort of way. And, and uh, you know, it, it just always kind of makes me shake my head. I just don't understand that. Yet when Jesus is alive and he lives, he's not like all the other great teachers that have been around, as people said, or spiritual advisors or any of that nonsense. He is alive and he lives. And can you say that tonight? Can you say that I know I'm going to be with God in the end? I know that my Redeemer lives and I'll stand with him one day. I hope so because Jesus has his arms open for those that are looking for all sorts of other things that are just kind of dead or dying and buried. And so the Lord sustains Job in a great way here. And let's finish his words. He said, Whom, verse 27, shall I see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another? How my heart yearns within me. If I should say, how shall I persecute? How shall we persecute him since the root of the matter is found in me? Be afraid of the sword for yourselves, for wrath brings the punishment of the sword, that you may know there is a judgment. And so Job pretty much finishes up saying here, you guys are going to pay a big price for having this attitude and accusing me. Everything is going to be exposed one day, and, and you guys, it's, you're going to be, you know, for accusing me of all these horrible things, you guys are going to pay a price for this one day. And, and that's true. It's coming up pretty quick. As a matter of fact, when we get to, you know, the end of the book, uh, they will be, you know, God's going to call them out on that. And uh, that's, that's certainly true. And we'll see that happen as we go through the book here. Well, Job having this great moment of faith uh, and says that and God moving his head up above the clouds and knowing that he is greater than the circumstances. Now we get back to Zophar who is going to finish up his round two um, talk with uh, Job here. So verse 1 of chapter 20 says, Then Zophar the Nahanite answered and said, Therefore my anxious thoughts make me answer. Because of the turmoil within me, 
I have heard the rebuke that reproaches me, and the spirit of my understanding causes me to answer. I'll put up again um, the New Living Translation, and let me just remind you again, you know, when you read some portion of scripture and, and the translation that you're reading and it just doesn't quite make sense you can't quite figure it out you know it's always good to go to you know one of the paraphrased editions and and see if that helps you uh, understand it a little clearer and I think that's a good case for it here let me read it to you in the new living and it says then so far the Nehemite replied I must reply because I am greatly disturbed I have been uh, I have had to endure your insults but now my spirit prompts me to reply. And I think we get a really good feel for, you know, what he is saying here and and his his whole heart in all this, right? I have the answer for you, Job. What you are telling us is way off, but I have the answer because I have the wisdom inside me. And then he's going to go say the same thing that he's been saying and the other guys have been saying, except now he's going to be even more direct, uh, you know, uh, in what he says. You know, the righteous are always blessed and the wicked are always punished uh, and have it bad. And if you have it this bad and it's really this bad and you have it so bad, that means your wickedness must equal the difficulties that you're going through. So that must be great. Your difficulties are great. So your sin must be great. And if you're living good and you're healthy, wealthy, and wise, then you must be living right because you're getting many blessings because you're living right. That, that was their thinking. And of course, the Lord's making it very clear that is not always the case. And it certainly wasn't the case with Job. But he said, I, I'll tell you a thing or two. Again, just this, you know, spirit of pride and, you know, this this pride coming out of a, you know, if a person, they think they know the answers. There's just, there doesn't seem to be any humility in, in them at all. Well, here's what he has to say. Verse 4, Do you not know this of old, since man was placed on earth, that the triumphing of the wicked is short, and the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment, though his haughtiness mounts up to the heavens, and his head reaches to the clouds, yet he will perish forever like his own refuse. Those who have seen him will say, where is he? He will fly away like a dream and not be found. Yes, he will be chased away like a vision of the night. The eye that saw him will see him no more, nor will his place behold him anymore. His children will seek the favor of the poor and his hands will restore his wealth. His bones are full of his youthful vigor, but it will lie down with him in the dust. And though evil is sweet in his mouth, and he hides it under his tongue, though he spares it and does not forsake it, but still keeps it in his mouth, and they'll go on in a little bit here to say it's going to turn summer, uh, sour. So uh, uh, they can't pin what Job has done wrong. I mean, they can't say, you did this, you did this, you did this, you did this. And these are his friends that know him, right? I mean, these are guys that know his life and arguably have known him for, for a long time, many years. So they can't come up with anything. So they just uh, accuse Job in general of doing this. But they give Job a little bit here. They give him an inch. 
And they say, okay, yeah, Job, you're arguing that, hey, wait a minute, you're saying that great sin brings great judgment. But how about the people that are sinning and nothing has happened to them? And Job brought that up. We've talked about that in the weeks. So they give him a little inch here. You know, Zophar gives him this little inch, say, yeah, you're right. Sometimes they get away with it, but it's for a very, very short time. And it will all come crashing down on them so quickly. That's not the case with you, Job. That, that does happen, and so they acknowledge that. But what they say is, you know, that sin is a sin and a great judgment, great problems and great difficulties in a person's life equals great sin that they must have committed to, to have that happen to them. Well, Hebrews, you know, um, uh, 11.25 says, He chose to be mistreated uh, with his people, with the people, speaking of Moses, the people of God, rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Now, I, I say that because there is pleasure in sin, but it's for a short time. And, and just like, you know, uh, Zophar is saying here, yeah, they do get something and they do seem like they're getting away with something. And it does seem like they're, they're profitable and they, you know, are, are seemingly getting away with, you know, all their uh, evil deeds and their unrighteous way of catching, you know, getting money and this and that and all what they do, taking advantage of those. It, it, and, or just living apart from God. It, there is some pleasure in it. Don't, don't misunderstand people that you know, live the, the wild life and do this. There, there is fun in it. It gets old after a while. You get tired of all those things, and it definitely gets old, but there is some fun in it, and um, uh, that's true. We need to remember that. But the problem is these guys have to be right. There isn't room for anything else. They, they want to give, a, you know, they give a little bit of inch and they agree with that. But, you know, in the end, that's still not applying to you, Job, because we're talking about big consequences. So there must be big sin. Well, verse 14, he goes on to say, yet his food in his stomach turns sour. It will become cobra venom within him. He swallows down riches and vomits them up again. God casts them out of his belly, and he will suck the poisons of cobras. The viper's tongue will slay him. He will not see the streams, the rivers flowing with honey and cream. He will restore that for which he has labored and will not swallow it down. For the proceeds of business, he will get no enjoyment. For he has oppressed and forsaken the poor. He has violently seized a house which he did not build, because he knows no quietness in his heart. And he will not save anything he desires. Nothing is left for him to eat. Therefore his well-being will not last. In his self-sufficiency he will be in distress. Every hand of misery will come against him. When he is about to fill his stomach, God will cast upon him the fury of his wrath, and it will rain uh, and will rain it on him while he's eating. And he will flee from the iron weapon. A bronze bow will pierce him through. It is drawn and it comes out of the body. Yes, glittering point comes out of his gall. Terrors come upon him. Total darkness is reserved for his treasures. An unfanned fire will consume him. It shall 
go ill with him to him who has left his tent. The heavens will reveal his iniquity and the earth will rise up against him. The increase of his house will depart and his goods will flow away in the day of his wrath and the portion from God for this wicked man, the heritage appointed to him by God. So he goes on and on and on saying the judgment, what's going to happen and how it's all going to come back on him. And, you know, there's a lot of truth in that. You know, people that take advantage and do evil. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, it just happens every day. You know, people, uh, my poor parents, you know, in their 90s and some six months ago or before my dad passed away, um, uh, you know, they, they, people on the phone call them and they're from another you know, country and trying to, you know, get them to go on the computer and, and give them their social security number and do all these kind of things. And, you know, my parents just, you know, didn't understand. They, they just thought people were honest and they were really trying to help them. And of course, they were just trying to rob them and fleece them and get all their stuff. And it was a big deal. And it was, you know, um, you know, it just, it just made me sick, you know, how evil people will take advantage of those like in that situation or going through, you know, uh, they'll read about, you know, the obituaries and find somebody that that's died. And they'll try to take advantage of a person going through those heartaches and difficulties or they'll read the divorce proceedings and they'll try to swoop in and get their possessions and their house before some, you know, all sorts of horrific and horrible things. And, and they will pay a big price for that. Businesses that have cheated others and taken advantage of this and that, you know, He's right. That, that's going to happen. And they'll get some enjoyment for a season, as we talked about. But in the end, it's going to be very bitter. The problem is, that wasn't the case with Job. He, the accusation is, that's what Job's been doing. You've ripped off the poor. You've taken advantage of the people. And, and so nothing good can happen to a, a wicked person. Everything is going to be against him. And that's why this is going on, Job. But it's not true. It's not like that. And that's where their accusation is completely wrong and completely false. And they had to stack, stick by it. I mean, they dug their heels in so deep on that thinking because they thought that's the way the Lord always works. Here's the box. He fits in there. And so we apply what we know that fits in this box about God to every situation that we see. And there's nothing new under the sun because people do that today. They think they know God. They think they know how he's going to work out because that's the way they feel he is or that's the way he feels, you know, they feel that he does or how he works, you know. He, he wants to let people with a, a, a good heart into heaven and, and that's all it takes. Why? Because that's all they want to give to him, right? They, they want to make him in his own image. Well, I have a good heart. I'll make it into heaven. So that's the way God has to be because that's the way I think, right? I mean, people do that all the time. Oh, you know, you know, God is like this. He, you know, wants to, you know, wants us to, you know, kiss the trees or whatever. Why? Because that person likes to kiss the tree. You know, he's found in nature and everything. You can see him in this and that. And, uh, you know, that's because they don't want to see a God in heaven that's going to send people either to heaven or they'll throw themselves into hell. They don't want to see that. They want to see him in the trees and the birds. And so they make God in their own image. And, and so, you know, they do things like that. But that's not who he is. 
And those things will come down and there will be a price to pay. And, and, and that's all true to a certain extent, but it's not true with everybody. You can't just put them in a box. People can't do that the way he feels. These guys can't do it even though they, they, they know of God, but they're applying it wrong. That's why it's so important that we have his word. That's why we study through it. You know, it's sometimes a lot easier to, you know, read a topical message or do a topical and I could talk about all the good things and the positive things and the wonderful things and, you know, the encouraging things and all these kind of things. And they have a great place and, and there's a place for all those things. But I'll tell you what, there's a lot of passages in Scripture that you would just never talk about in front of the church because they're just difficult. They're hard to hear, you know, they're they're speaking, you know, clearly on a situation with the Lord and, you know, maybe judgment or the result of sin. And, you know, it's not a happy-go-lucky message. And one of the great things is we get to know um, our Heavenly Father because He has left us, you know, His Word and how important it is that we know it and read through it and go through it and, and, and you know, spend time in it daily. I applaud all you guys that have been going through, you know, the New Testament for a year and, and joined on that, um, that app, you know, uh, the Bible app. And we, you know, read a, a chapter or a little bit less a day, a little bit more depending. And, and you know, it's, here it is, what, uh, almost November and, you know, almost made it through the whole New Testament. What a great accomplishment. You know, most people don't even make it through the New Testament or have never read it all the way through. And yet, you know, there's a good bunch of us that are doing that. And that's great because we get to know our Heavenly Father. We're not skipping and picking and choosing things. We, we get to hear the whole counsel of God. And, and that's good. That way we don't lock God in some box that we think is how we should be in. Rather, we allow Him to be who He is and us to respond to who he is rather than us, you know, paint him into a corner or something. Well, now uh, Job uh, chapter 21, Job's going to reply to this. And then Job answered and said, listen carefully to my speech and let this be your consolation. Bear with me that I may speak. And after I've spoken, keep mocking as for me in my complaint against man, and if it were, why should I not be impatient? Look at me and be astonished. Put your hand over your mouth. Even when I remember I am terrified and I tremble and trembling takes hold of my flesh. And so, you know, you, know, you look at me and you're like, wow, this is so awful, so terrible. And you guys, you know, uh, answer me this question, you know, how can you go on making fun of me when you look at me and go, oh man, that poor guy looks so terrible. I, I, and I just don't understand why the Lord is allowing this to happen. And what he really says here is I'm really addressing a lot of these questions to God and, and complaints to him, not, not to you guys, but you guys are taking them personally when I'm really pouring my heart out to God. And let me show you now how the wicked do prosper, and it's not just the righteous, you know? And now the pendulum's going to swing the other way. You know, they say, oh man, great uh, judgment, bad things happen in your life, great sin. 
Job's going to swing the pendulum over on the other side. He says, listen, you do great sins, you do things wrong, and, and, and nothing happens to you. You know, you, you get away with it. You know, you do what's right and you get punished. You know, no good deed goes unpunished kind of a thing. He's going to swing back the other way and kind of talk about how the wicked always prosper. Then he says this, Why do the wicked live and become old? Yes, become mighty in power. Their descendants are established with them in their sight and their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear. Neither is the rod of God upon them. Their bull breeds without failure. Their cows, cow calves without miscarriage. They send forth their little ones like a flock and their children dance. They sing to the tambourine and harp and rejoice to the sound of the flute. They spend their days in wealth and at a moment go down to the grave. Yet they say to God, depart from us. We do not desire the knowledge of your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit do we have if we pray to him? Indeed, the prosperity is, uh, is not in their hand. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. So Job goes on to say how the wicked don't want for anything, and, and they don't want any of the Lord. As a matter of fact, they just say to him, get away from us, leave us alone. You know, kind of like people do to us once in a while. You know, you, you share the gospel, you tell them you're a Christian. Ah, I don't want to hear that stuff. You know, keep that stuff to yourself. You know, I got my own thing going, or I knew somebody that went to church and was a Christian, and they were the lousiest, rotten person, and I don't want to hear it, you know. That's the kind of attitude that they have. And Job says that's what they do. And they refuse to pray to him or acknowledge him or give him credit for any of their successes or blessings that they have. You know, God is not in their thoughts, Job says, let alone in their plans. You know, they are what we would say today, self-sufficient people. They do as they want and they do it their way. You know, the old... I did it my way. <laughs> you can hear, um, what's his face, singing that. I did it my way. And so, you know, that's the kind of people Job said are out there. You know, they do that and have no care for him, and yet, yeah, they're going to die. You know, and, and, and as a minute fear, you know, you know uh, again, he's going to talk about that. But Job was saying, I'm not like that at all. Yet this is happening to me. You know, uh, people that live for material things have their reward in this life. But that's not me. And that is true. You know, you live for material things and, and you get those things in this life and, and that's, this is the best it's ever going to be for them. Because they are just so apart for the Lord. And so when somebody, you know, uh, you know, some person that's not a believer as a matter of fact they're living pretty rotten and evil life and you know one say you know and and they're but they're yet they're doing pretty good they got a big house or a new car or doing this and that everything seems to work out you know you can feel a little sorry for them because you, you think well you know this is this is the best it's ever going to be for them and for me this is the worst it's ever going to be <laughs> Everything is up from here. Everything is down for them. And we can look at them with that same kind of pity, really, and understand that, you know, they want to do it their way. They're self-sufficient, and they think they don't have anything to do with God, and they did it on 
you know, pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps and have done it by their hard work and this and that. And, you know, they're rewarding themselves with material things. Well, that's all they're going to get. And that's the best it's going to be for them ever. Well, verse 17, how often is a lamp of the wicked put out? How often does their destruction come upon them? The sorrows God distributes in his anger. They are like the straw before the wind and like the chaff that a storm carries away. They say, God lays up one's iniquity for his children. Let him recompense him that he may know it. Let his eyes see his destruction and let him drink of the wrath of the Almighty. For what does he care about uh, his household after him? When number of his months is cut in half, can anyone teach God knowledge since he judges those on high? And so he's going to say, you know, I don't want anything to happen to me. Let something happen to them. You know, if, I, if there's a price to be paid, let it happen to my children, the next generation coming you know, after me. What a great person, huh? And, and then he says, can anybody teach God? He knows everything. Yet there are still people that think they can, right? There are many who profess far superior knowledge than God, right? Uh, you know, you've met those people and you read about them, you hear about them on TV sometimes, you know? Again, they think, oh, we got it figured out and, you know, we're going to, you know, we got our, uh, whatchamacallit, new telescope up in the sky, the web, you know, uh, telescope, uh, James Webb, we're going to look at these universes far. We're going to tell you how everything began. You know, we're going to get, uh, NASA's going to get that, um, uh, a little bit of material from that meteor, uh, not from the meteor, from the comet that was going around. They picked up a few years ago, and it takes another year or so to get back here. And once we have that, we'll know the building blocks of life because, you know, comets fly throughout the universe everywhere. They pick up so much, and we'll know everything, you know, and on and on and on it goes in so many different ways, right? We'll know everything. We'll have everything. And, uh, you know, we don't need him. Now, most of us think, you know, how ridiculous and know that is far out and not how we feel at all. But we have to ask ourselves this question, I think. How do we think of him? You know, can anybody teach God? Well, most of us would say absolutely not, right? You know, does he know everything about everything and every detail of everything? Well, I think most of us would say yes, right? But when we pray, do we pray like he knows? Or do we pray like we need to show him something? Lord, let me pray. You know, if you, you can see how this is going. And if you just change this or if you just do this or Lord, just do that. You know, it's like we're, we're trying to tell him what's going on. And let me show you something. Because once, if you hear what I have to say, it, it, you're, oh, got it now you know you're missing out on some details maybe and you know uh, you know maybe we wouldn't say that out but maybe our prayers reflect that right um you know uh, maybe we think he's you know it's obvious or maybe he forgot about that or or something if we just are reasonable and tell him how we feel and what the good things will happen if you do this and work in that way and do that you know, what we're really doing is having that same kind of attitude, you know, that we need to teach him something, that he needs to be informed about what's going on here. He needs to 
have somebody present the solution to him so, uh, you know, he'll work with it. Obviously, when we think of it in those terms, it's, you know, how far from the truth that is. And yet we can kind of have that tendency too. you know, how much better to go, Lord, you know, everything, you know, everything, you know, my heart is this, but you know what's best. And, you know, it's hard to do when we're in the midst of things, but we know that's the truth of it. Well, let's finish up this chapter. One dies in his full strength, being holy at ease and secure. His pails are full of milk and the marrow of his bones is moist. Another man dies in the bitterness of his soul, never having eaten with pleasure. They lie down alike in the dust and the worms cover them. Look, I know your thoughts and the schemes with which you would wrong me. For you say, where is the house of the prince? And where is the tent, the dwelling place of the wicked? Have you not asked those who travel the road? And do you not know their signs? For the wicked are reserved for the day of doom. They shall be brought out on the day of wrath. So ask anybody on the street, you know, if they get away with their wickedness. You know, if they're getting away with their wickedness, or ask them if it pays to be righteous. You know, if we were to ask people on the street, does it does it pay to be righteous? I mean, do you actually get ahead by doing what's right and being righteous? You know, a lot of people would probably just say, you know, maybe sometimes, but maybe sometimes not. You know, and because I know people that have done terrible things and yet everything's fine. Everything's going good with them. And so that's the argument Job's have here, that sinful people do get away with sinful things, but he also knows that they will pay in the end. Right? And, you know, there is a price to be paid if one lives an unrighteous and a wicked life. He knows that. Um, But again, uh, you know, people say, well, If God's real, I mean, how many times have you talked to people? If God's real, let him strike me dead right now. Or if he's, you know, this, let him this happen. You know, and all these kind of threats towards God. And one thing I've learned uh, after all these years is God's patient. You know, the wicked do wicked things, and they continue to do wicked things, and they seem to get away with it. And you think, well, why hasn't God stepped in and done so? You know, I look at our governor, and I think, how does this guy able to sign these bills, and the, the people in the House uh, and our state Senate, um, you know, vote on these things and pass these laws that are just so wrong and bad, and, and I'm like, Lord, how, you know, how do you let them get away with it for so long? How's this guy going to be reelected again? Who, who's, you know, and you start getting frustrated at these things and other things that we see, of course, and, you know, one thing, again, we've learned is that God's patient, And he is patient with us, and he's patient with everybody. And one day, you know, there is going to be a price to be paid. And most of the time, it's going to be at the end of someone's life, but he is patient. And Job knows that, but he also knows that sometimes that doesn't happen. Judgment doesn't fall until the end. And he says in verse 31, Who condemns his way to his face? And who repays him for what he has done? Yet he shall be brought to the grave and a vigil kept over the tomb. The clods 
of the valley shall be sweet to him. Everyone shall follow him as countless have gone before him. How can they comfort me with empty words since falsehood remains in your answer? And so Job says, even you know, when they die, they get this burial perception, procession that's so nice. But again, we see how upset and frustrated Job is with the attitude and the words of his friends. I like this quote, and it says, you know, um, if you want to be an encouragement to hurting people, try to see things through their eyes. Be humble enough to admit that there might be other points of view. Job's three friends had a narrow experience of life. They held fast to their dogmatic assumptions and refused to budge. I like that. I couldn't remember where I got that from, so I just put unknown. But, um, you know, I think that's great. Put ourselves in other people. Realize that there is other points of view. Realize that my experience is limited. This might be way outside what I've seen, but that doesn't mean it couldn't be God. Remember that. I think that's so important. And let's, let's finish with this, chapter 22. We're finally in the third and final round. By the way, each one will speak three times and that's it. <laughs> and they get a little shorter as we go through it. So verse 1, Then Eliaphaz the Temanite answered and said that we will continue this next week. <laughs> I realize it's kind of late right now. So let's just wrap it up and rather than kind of push it, we'll just we'll call it a night here at the, halfway through the book of Job. Let's pray. Father, uh, again, we do thank you for this time and, you know, for all that you put in this book. Uh, there's so much that we can learn. And you kind of beat the drum on this, it seems, over and over again. And that's because you want to get it into our heads and into our minds, Lord. You, you want this very soundly understood. And so help us to be those people. Help us to receive that. Help us to never put you in a box. Help, you, help us to understand that you might do things that we have never heard of or thought of. And uh, who's to say just because we haven't thought of it or heard of it that it wouldn't be your ways and your doing. And not rely on such a limited knowledge that we have of you. Know that you're always going to be true and faithful to your word. You're never going to contradict or go against that. And yet your ways are far above our ways. And we need to be open and we need to acknowledge that. And we need to be people that show patience just like you do. And show love, especially to those that are hurting and suffering. For whatever reason, you, you show love and patience to people. And we want to reflect that in our lives as well. So help us to be those, those people, Father. Again, uh, uh, put that deep in our hearts and our lives, Lord. We want to be those people that honor you and reflect that in other people's lives that you give us opportunity to be a part of, Father. Help us to do that, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, may the Lord bless you.